Let's read this passage together. This is our passage this morning. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before swine, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. This is the living word of God for us today. You can have a seat. Let's take our Bibles and let's turn to that passage. We are in Matthew chapter 7. We are, of course, uh, kind of on the downhill side of the Sermon on the Mount. We will be in the sermon right up to Easter. And so we've got chapter 7 uh, to complete. Let me say to all of us this, this morning, I'm giving you a word of warning. Uh, if you are a guest online, uh, you're in the room. Uh, you have joined us in the midst of a family meeting. You guys remember family meetings? Those of you old enough, it depends on the home you grew up in, but uh, we had family meetings every once in a while in, my, in, in our home. And that was, you know, send the friends home, turn off the TV. It's mom and dad and siblings. And family meetings didn't, they weren't called when things were hunky-dory. You know, they were called when things had built up and things, things were not going well. I was listening to uh, sports radio last week or, or the week before, but Pred's on a losing streak. And they were just saying how after an early week loss, they had a players only meeting. <laughs> you know, that is the sports version of the family meeting. Uh, when things are not going well, you have those. If you're not in the family, may I say, if you're not you know, a member of the church family here at Fellowship or a, a, a Christian, someone who's placed their faith in Christ, I'm not gonna ask you to leave the family meeting. In fact, you've picked a good time to visit our community of faith because you're gonna learn more about us as a community of faith, seeing and listening and observing the meeting than if you were to visit for you know, a year or so. I want you to know I didn't call the meeting uh, Rob Sweet, our, our lead pastor, didn't call the meeting. The elders didn't call the meeting. Jesus has called this meeting. And I say that on the authority of the very words we just read and the text that we study today. Whether you're in the family or not, I, I want to say to you, uh, properly understanding uh, this word and then applying it of course, and the power of the Spirit is gonna bring something uh, we desperately need. And, and quite frankly, it's in short supply uh, in, in many places. That would be you know, healing of, of, of the heart, um, hope, uh, peace, uh, uh, biblical peace, and wholeness. Uh, we spent, this is two weeks ago, our staff team spent some time reflecting on the year that was, the past year, as we were you know, planning 2021 in the year that is, is in front of us, we do that personally, but I couldn't help doing it personally and corporately. So when I reflected on the year that was and where we are in the year that's in front of us, y'all, I had in my mind the church. 
Uh, and, and when I say the church, I mean Fellowship Bible Church. Right here, this, us gathered online in this room uh, today here in Franklin and Fellowship Bible Church gathered online and in person in Brentwood. Uh, that was in my mind, Fellowship Bible Church. But then also, may I say, that church, Fellowship Bible, I was thinking of the, the, the broader evangelical church. And, and here's what struck me on that reflection was perhaps never, at least in my lifetime, and there've been crazy things happen in the world in my lifetime, but I don't know that there's ever been a, a, a season in, in my lifetime when world events have so conspired to present the church with its most profound opportunity to proclaim and, and live the very gospel that saves us and we hold so dear. I, I, I think if you take, and I'll just take these three, if you take COVID and people's response and, and the racial issues and responses and the presidential election that just has happened, you, you put those together, I just think it's provided an, just a crazy, unprecedented opportunity for the church to speak the gospel. And yet, where my reflection took me was this. It seems to me that never has the church missed the opportunity, quite frankly, like we have. Uh, and like we even are, even to this day. Why do I, why do I say this? Well, because, because the need has, honestly, you know, has, has never been so acute for globally, quite frankly, if not nationally, but never has the church, I'm speaking of our own, been so impotent. And here's why, I think, in part, is because never have so many in the church been so at odds with each other. Let me ask you to consider this. I want you to think about someone in your world. It could be a family member or a friend who, who you take those three things, COVID, racial issues, and the president's fiction. Think of someone who you see things so different. I mean, it's like you're on different, so different that it, you just get tension in your chest, you know, when you, when you think about it. So I, I would suggest that I didn't finish the sentence that you didn't feel tension in your chest because someone came to your mind related to those things. My observation is that these, th these th you know, take those three, it's brought out the best in many. I kind of think it's brought out the worst in more, just my observation. Um, for many, and again, this is, I'm talking to us, um, the way we've talked to each other and about each other, related, I'm just gonna say, related to, to, to COVID, related to racial issues and related to this election, have not been informed and shaped by the Sermon on the Mount. A lot of it has not been shaped and informed by the sermon we are studying. You may say, Lloyd, I'm not, I've not said anything bad about anyone. I'm not saying, you know, I got people disagree with me, but I'm not talking about them or demeaning them. And I'm going, that's fantastic. But let me ask you this. Have you had unkind thoughts? Have you, have you carried a demeaning attitude toward others who see things differently than you? I have. If the Sermon on the Mount has taught us anything, you don't have to say it to do harm, do we? If it's carried in our hearts 
there's harm done. Let me state what I'm, I'm trying to communicate. I'm gonna say it in a sentence. And the sentence is gonna right, take us right to the text, okay? The world is watching how we talk to one another and about one another on these things. And they are saying this. I, I think they're saying this. They are exactly who we thought they were. Hypocrites. They're, hip, they're hypocrites. That's who we thought. They're hypocrites. And I, I would say that Jesus beat the world to the punch. Because if you, if you paid attention to what, as we're reading that text, Jesus 2,000 years ago called us hypocrites. See, Matthew 7, 5, he says, you hypocrites. And, and this is the one instance when Jesus is talking to his own. So when he speaks of hypocrites, uh, otherwise he's speaking of the scribes and Pharisees, the religious leaders, but on this one, Jesus is talking to me and he's talking to you. He's talking to those who follow him as disciples. Here's the good news. Jesus died on the cross for hypocrites like me, like you. He rose from the grave that we, may, we wouldn't remain hypocrites and hypocritical. And he speaks these words today, these words today to deliver us from our hypocrisy if we hear and respond in the power of the Spirit. This passage, y'all, is about seeing clearly. You just get these eyes and vision words through it. So let's look at it this way. There's four sections to this part of the sermon and I've got them broken out in this way. In verses one and two, there is discerning vision. I'm gonna unpack these, go verse by verse. Then there is impaired vision in verses three and four, clear vision in verse five, and merciful vision in verse six. So let's let the word of God speak to us today. Discerning vision, follow along in your Bibles. Jesus says, judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounced, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. If you were to Google, and, and I did this, you know, verses non-Christians use the most or, or atheist favorite verses. I, and I mean this, and I'm, I'm not throwing anybody on the bus, I'm just going so fat. These are the, this will be the top one, two, or three. Because th- th- this verse, for those who, who, who don't know Christ, it's kind of like, um, you know, it's kind of like the, 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 the cross that you use in the vampire movie, you know, like, you know, the vampire's coming to suck your blood. You know, you can't come because I got the cross up here. It's like a, a non-Christian, you know, would say to a Christian, like, don't tell me what I'm doing is wrong. How can you, don't judge me. Jesus said, don't judge. So it's like, eh, don't judge me. And that's not, it, it's not even close to what the verse means and what Jesus intends at all. Let me be clear, it doesn't mean, this verse doesn't mean that we don't make moral judgments about each other, about people. It doesn't mean that at all. It means we make those judgments very carefully, um, with, biblically, uh, with great care and with great compassion. Judge, this word, krenos, here's two, two main ideas. And the main idea is to, to judge is to evaluate, to discern, to separate, i.e. to separate, you know, right from wrong. Carries a second meaning, and that, that is to condemn, to condemn. Um, we, we are not to condemn another person, i.e. pronounce final judgment. That's not ours to do. That's God's prerogative. What's the context here? How do we, how do we understand judge not here? Well, the context tells us 
that that uh, it, it's got to mean um, it's got to mean uh, evaluating and discerning, um, separating uh, right from wrong. And here, here's why I say that: when we get down to verse uh, six, Jesus is going to tell us there are some people, and this is His words, not mine, that are dogs and pigs. It's not kind. Uh, but you know, he's because you got to discern. So, so we must discern and separate out a pig from a dog and dogs and pigs from what's holy. You know, um, a little later, Jesus is going to say, you need to, you need to discern and be able to evaluate the false teacher from the true teacher. Well, that takes judging, judgment, careful discernment. Um, Verse two is a repetition of something he's already taught us, and that is you sow what you reap. That, that's the principle here. You know, earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, if you, those who are merciful receive mercy. Uh, those who forgive receive forgiveness. In the same way, uh, in this judgment, judging, it's the way that you judge is the way that you will be judged. And by the way, not judged by other people, but, but judged by God. Discerning vision is... Um, it's judging biblically. It's separating right from wrong. Here's what I don't want you to miss when we get into this, when he's, what he's talking about, who he's talking to. It's how we judge each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. This is not judging someone who's outside, you know, a non-Christian. It's kind of crazy some things. It's kind of crazy way sometimes Christians talk about non-Christians as if they're supposed to behave like Christians. You know what I'm saying? We're not to do that. If you don't know Christ, you behave a way that you, that's normal. Discerning um, vision is, it, it, it would be, if, if I were to say to, you know, someone in, in the body, I'm, I'm telling you it's wrong for you to sleep with someone who's not your wife. That's not judging, that's loving. Discerning vision is required for love. Well, he goes on, so discerning vision to impaired vision. Look at verses three and four. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? This is one, y'all, where it's kind of like you had to be there, I think to get the joke, so to speak. Because what Jesus says right here, can I, it's actually funny. It, it, it's, and I say that because it is so just out of proportion. <laughs> it's just so ludicrous what he says. He, it, it's like, you know, he's, he's imagining them picturing someone with a speck in their eye. That would be a piece of dust, would be the word here, a small piece of wood where it's, you know, water in your eye. You can barely see it, you know? And then he, he, he describes a person with the log in their eye. And the word, some of your translations may say the plank in, in, in your eye, the beam in your eye. The, the, the word literally means this beam. Think about it, a beam by which the whole roof, you know, rests upon this giant beam. And so, you know, do you see what I'm saying? It's like a cartoon. And, and, and I would suggest that when the original readers heard it, you know, they, they're giggling. I think they, they might've laughed out loud. Who knows? They're poking each other like, <laughs> I mean, it looks like Daffy Duck or, you know, a Bugs Bunny cartoon for us. And so he's, he states it this way to where it's so funny. Why? Because it's so not funny, right? It, it, it's like, oh, that's, 
not funny at all. I want to ask you for a moment. Um, think about what Jesus says in this question. And, and, and if you, a couple of you respond. Just let, let me hear your thoughts on this. When he, when he says, why is it? Um, you know, why, why do you see the speck? Don't see the long years. Why is it, you guys, that we so readily see the fault in someone else before we see the fault, capital F, in our own life? Why, why just, we're, we're human, we're fallen, but what, what, are these, what, would be, what could be some reasons why, as you think about your own life, that, you know, I see the fault in them, and, but we don't see it in our own? What, what could be some reasons? Why do we do that? Pride? Yeah, pride. What else? Because it's easier to justify our own. <laughs> we know our own, we're gonna justify it. You know, it, I, I agree with you. It's in, there, there could be others. And those two really hit on what I was thinking for myself is I, I feel way better about myself when you have the problem, not me, pride, justify ourselves, we do that. There's a second reason, I think, and I read this and it, it just resonated with me, and perhaps it will with you, is that we confuse the desire for what is right with, this, with the desire for being right. You got you to track with me on this, okay? So stay with me. Said another way, we, we make being right synonymous with what is right. And uh, th th these two social psychologists state it this way. I, I've tweaked their quote a bit just for clarification in, in, in our understanding, but listen to what they, they wrote. This is out of uh, The Web of Lies, the desire for what is right and the desire to have been right are two desires. And the sooner we separate them, the better off we are. That's gold. <laughs> the sooner we separate them, the better off we are. The desire for what is right is the thirst for truth. On all counts, both practical and theoretical, there is nothing but good to be said for it. The desire to have been right, on the other hand, is the pride that goeth before a fall. Man, I'm telling you, you talk about fallenness in our hearts. That 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 thing that <laughs> that thing of like, well, I I must I need to be right. Ooh, we can separate that from what is right only by the power of the Spirit. Well, when Jesus asked this, how can you say to your brother? Let me take the speck out of your eye with the log in your own. May I say this? He didn't wait for an answer because it's, it, it, the answer is already buried within it. The answer is you can't, you know? You, no, you can't do that unless, unless, verse five, clear vision. Look at verse five. You hypocrite. First, Take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. 
Do you notice here, Jesus doesn't say, because you know, I, I kind of would expect it to say possibly, it's like, look, mind your own business and I'll deal with your brother or sister. He, he doesn't say that, shockingly. He actually says, no, help your brother or sister with the speck in their eye. We have a responsibility to help our brother and sister with the speck in their eye. We are our brother's keeper. This is part in part why we have a value at fellowship called Better Together, one of our core values. Um, because Jesus envisioned his followers would be uh, in such proximity. Can I say it that way? Another word is in community that you're close enough to see the speck in each other's eyes. However, there is a prerequisite. There's something that comes first, isn't there? First, remove the log from your own eye. Now, here's where I... I, I um, I'm just kind of going, wow, that, I didn't, that's kind of odd to think of that, but think of this with me. The small thing, okay, and again, this is the big contrast, this tiny little thing that's not so insignificant, but you've got this giant thing in your life, right? The small thing in a person's life, I mean, just a piece of tiny splinter, saw this, can't be removed by that person on their own. Because you'd think, well, you know, I'll just get it out of my eye. I'll do it myself. Well, no, and according to, 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 to biblical community, that you, you can't take the speck out of your own eye. You need someone's help. On the flip side, I don't get this, the massive telephone pole that's in your eye, you can remove. So you, you can remove that and you must before you would help someone with the speck. You know what I think would help us? This is silly, but I thought, gosh, what if you had to, what if you had to type in a password before you spoke something to someone else about the speck in their eye? And you go to a sister, and I just need to tell you, you get, but before you could do it, before you could do it, you had to type in a password. You know, or Kurt Heineke said, Lord, you know, you have to log in. And so what if the password was L-O-G? I really believe this. If I had to log in and the passcode was log, I would, I need to talk to you about, hold on a second. Nothing really right now, you know. I've got something, you know, I need to talk to myself about. It would how that would serve us. We're gonna do that in a bit. We're actually gonna work on some log removal, some application as, as we conclude this morning. Before we get to that though, I need to get this last verse and it's, it's a bit of an outlier, isn't it? Look at verse six. I call it merciful vision. Now, why do I call it that? Let me tell you why. Look at verse six. Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. It just feels like an outlier, doesn't it? You know, why, why that? Why there? How did we go from, how did we go from logs and, you know, uh, splinters to pigs and dogs? Well, here's why, in a nutshell. 
What is this talking about? Well, it has to do with Christians being discerning enough and courageous enough to know when to stop sharing the gospel with certain people. Now, just saying that's kind of like, uh, that's not, that doesn't sound right. Well, it, it doesn't sound right. And Jesus said it in this way to get our attention. You could not pick two more despised things than a dog and a pig for a Jew. You talk about, you know, it's like despicable dog. It's not like dogs like we have, dog, pet, you know, fluffy, cute. Um, no dog, you know, it's what they call Gentiles. They hated Gentiles, called a Gentile, Gentile dog. You know, it's, dogs are scavengers. Um, a pig was uh, unclean to the Jew. You couldn't own a pig. You couldn't, you don't eat pork. So you've got these two despicable things. And do you notice he takes those and he contrasts them with, with two things that I don't even, I can't even reach high enough to say the contrast with what is holy, separate unto God, holy, and then priceless as a pearl. So you got that and that, the, 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 the contrast is massive. Well, what's holy and priceless as a pearl? You know, commentators have different understandings on this. I think the, the best place we find here is to go to Jesus's own words in Matthew 13, when Jesus is describing the kingdom of God as a great pearl, the pearl of great price is the kingdom of God. Let's think of it this way. The, the, the message of the gospel of the kingdom is holy. It is the pearl of great price. This is the contrast between these two things, which leads most to understand what Jesus is saying here to be something along these lines. There are people whose value system is so profoundly out of whack that they habitually despise and dismiss and denigrate the gospel, which is the most precious and valuable thing in the world. Therefore, stop putting the gospel before them because they'll trample it under their feet like a pig. They'll attack you like a scavenger dog. Well, but I thought we're supposed to share the gospel with everyone. We are. He didn't say don't share the gospel. Share the gospel with all to a point. And then you move on. It's, this isn't harsh. This is biblical. I want you to think about what Jesus is going to do when he sends out the 12 to the cities. He says, go into the city and preach the gospel and go into that home. And if they receive it, bless and stay. If they don't, what did he tell the disciples to do? Just keep going, keep stay there, stay at the other, you get them. No, shake the dust from your feet and move on. When Paul was preaching to the Jews, he preached to the Jews and the Jews rejected, they despised, they attacked him. What did Paul do? He turned and he went to the Gentiles. That doesn't mean that the Jews are left to no one. God will take care of that, but Paul had to turn and move on. There is for us, you all, um, we, we don't, how do I say it? We're not loving people. We're not loving those who repeatedly reject and ridicule and demean the gospel by continuing to share the gospel with them. We're putting pearls before pigs. Now, I think this is God's mercy. 
Why do I say that? Because elsewhere in the gospels, we understand Jesus says, you're accountable for the truth you, you receive. We're all face a judgment and, and, and you're judged by the, the truth you're accountable for is the truth you've received. And, and, and God in his mercy perhaps is mercifully limiting the weight they must bear when they give account for what they did with what they heard. That's why I say it's merciful vision. Merciful vision. Well, why this statement in this context? I, I think because it takes a Christian with a log-free, speck-free eye to make that discernment. Okay. Discerning vision, impaired vision, clear vision, and merciful vision. I think our application today has to do with log removal. And that's what we're gonna do. Rob and I, you know, have been careful to do this in the Sermon on the Mount, but I just need to know, you need, you, we know that the, the, the text is meant to be applied. It's not just, let's walk, hey, that was interesting. You know, let's go eat. No, what is, how do I apply it in my life today? And so I wanna apply it with you. I'm gonna walk you through a log removal process, if you will. Um, we, Rob and I have said in the Sermon on the Mount, we said, okay, Jesus, in light of what you said, Jesus, what, is this, what does it mean now for me to walk with you? That's the whole point of the Sermon on the Mount. Um, I would suggest it means remove the log in your eye. So set your Bible to the, to the side, get yourself in a posture and a position where I can walk you through a spiritual exercise, if you will. I'm gonna invite you to, to, to do this. Um, you know, we don't just come to church and listen and go, we, we, we engage with God. And so I'm gonna invite you where you are is to, to, to engage in the power and person of the spirit within you in what it means to apply the text. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come up because it's a song we're gonna have sung over us in a moment that all aids us in this process. Here's the first thing, and you can close your eyes, you can bow your head, you can, whatever you need to do, but... I want you to put yourself in a place and the first thing I wanna invite you to do is come to Jesus. And, and you know, if you have this thing, you go, man, I don't know what you're talking, what do you mean come to Jesus? I mean, uh, put yourself in a place, there as you're seated and, and come before the throne of grace. You, you say, Jesus, I'm, I wanna talk with you. I, I want to be in your presence. I wanna hear your voice, we come to Jesus. Whatever, you know, it could be reciting a verse, it could be imagining the cross in your, your mind's eye. You, you come to Jesus, you bring Jesus to, to this place where, where you are. There is no light bright enough, there's no mirror that's clear enough to show you the logs in your eye or the log, other than, excuse me, other than Jesus other than the presence of Jesus that shows us these logs that are in our own eyes. When we're in the presence of Jesus, you know, it's only then do the, does that big issue in that person's life become the tiny speck that it is. And the little speck we think in our eye become the log that it is. Come to Jesus ask him to show you any log that's in your eye. I trust the spirit to do that work. I'm not trying to put anything in your mind's eye other than trust the spirit to show you. And when he shows you, would you acknowledge, that's the second thing, acknowledge the log, name it. 
See, we're gonna, because that log is sin and we don't sin in generalities. There's, there's concrete edges to our sin. There's choices we make, attitudes we carry. There's descriptions we can name it. So acknowledge the log and what it is. Put words to it. The log the Spirit brings to your mind's eye. third thing that we do log removal is we confess and we repent so so again in a posture of prayer to confess means to agree with so when we confess we 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 go god i agree with you that this is a log <laughs> so i agree this is grievous to the holy spirit this is missing the mark of perfection. This is unholy. I agree with you, God. This is sin. That's confession. Repentance is turning from. So it they go together. God, I agree with you. This log is sin. And I repent. I turn from it and I turn to you and come to you confess and repent, change direction. We come to Jesus, acknowledge the log. We, we confess and repent. And this last point is this, we receive God's forgiveness. The log in our eye is removed by our experience of forgiveness. There's nothing else that can remove it. You can't reach up and take it out of your eye. Nothing strong enough. You see, in forgiveness, when, when we experience forgiveness, we are resting in the finished work of Jesus. First John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You all, when you placed your faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus at your conversion, when you trusted Christ, all your sins were forgiven, removed, thrown as far as east is from west. From that moment till this one, until you die, we're gonna keep sinning. Yes, those sins are forgiven, but our experience of that forgiveness comes as we confess and repent. And as verse John says, that's ongoing. And, and in that experience, that, yes, that sin's been forgiven, but that experience of forgiveness, you see, is what removes the log that develops in our eye over time. I'm forgiven by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Oh God, I am forgiven for this telephone pole in my eye. 
that costs you, Jesus, your life. I am forgiven. I'll say it again, the log in your eye is removed by your experience of Christ's forgiveness. And we experience his forgiveness afresh each time we confess our sin.